Today, we have two former analytics staffers of actual NBA teams. We're going to talk to them about their departments, their roles, and and how the analytics department in in general has uh, evolved over time. Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast that's part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Tim Cato, your host. Uh, today, we've got a different type of episode. Uh, we've got Brian Damaris and Seth Partnow, uh, both who work for the Athletic in some capacity, but both who have also worked in NBA teams, uh, you know, running analytics departments or, you know, running analytics in, in some sort. In some sort. So, First thing, uh, 15 seconds from both of you guys about what you did with your respective roles and teams and titles and all that stuff. Uh, Brian, then Seth, if you guys can. Yeah, mine was uh, way back in the dark ages in uh, 02, 2002. I had a title was Director of Basketball Development because there really was no analytics to speak of. And I was the analytics department working with uh, Wayne Winston and Jeff Sagarin, if you know the Sagarin ratings, out of Indiana, who were professors of Cubans. So, um, I was doing the analytics as well as some, uh, uh, ran the global games, which is an under 21, um, Olympic style basketball tournament and some international, uh, kind of getting the international thing and helping Donnie Nelson, the president of basketball operations, getting that off the ground as well. So I was the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks from 2015 through last summer. Uh, and that, was I, I ran a small group of, of depending on how we counted between three and three and a half people um, <laughs> at, at, at the height and um, kind of providing uh, support to uh, basketball operations and coaching staff uh, and worked with a data scientist who uh, was attached to the, the kind of uh, health science medical training area. Um, we didn't didn't directly work with him, but we were working off the same data. So he would I would have considered him a a colleague, if not a, a an employee. Yeah, this is this is why I thought this would be so interesting. I, I you know I was just telling you guys this off air, but you know you're coming at it from very different you know ends of the spectrum. You know, literally, Brian. You know, you're one of the first. Um, you know, maybe the first. Uh, you know, analytics employee of an NBA team. Analytics as as a you know, as a department, as a, uh, you know, even idea was it wasn't really around, uh, certainly not in basketball, in, uh, you know, in the 90s. Um, and then Seth, you, you just left one. So, so, you know, I, th- I think this could be interesting just just as, as we kind of understand the history of how these have developed and, and you know, the, the reasoning and, and, you know, where where they've gone over these two decades and, and maybe where they're going to go, you know, looking forwards. So um, I guess, Brian, how did a uh, how did Cuban approach you? Uh, I assume, you know, was it, was it Cuban, but, but I assume, you know, he's behind almost all this stuff. Um, you know, how did he find you? And, and, you know, I guess like what was one of the like first tasks that you were assigned uh, in, in, in your role? Uh, so I actually worked for Mark in the late nineties at broadcast.com, which was the company he uh, made all his money at. And then I was, uh, went over to Yahoo and then left there um, after the market crash and all of that. And was actually volunteering at the Global Games because a friend of mine was running it. And Donnie Nelson was the chairman of that event. And so, at the end, we had a little kind of rap party and I got to know him a little bit. He had just literally 10 days earlier been named president of basketball operations. And so, moving from assistant coach to that role. And so, I basically said, hey, you know, you need somebody to help you. And he was like, great idea. And he knew my history with Mark. And so, that kind of made it 
easy to kind of jump on board. Literally, I remember on a kind of a preseason road trip, Mark handed me uh, the book Moneyball and said, that's your new Bible. And uh, we were kind of off and running on the first, uh, the first vestiges of what analytics would be. So, what was like, when's the first moment that you remember your analytics, your research, your work, uh, you know, heavily factoring into a on, you know, on-court decision or front office decision for the, for the Mavericks? So, I was getting like raw data from, you know, Wayne Winston, the Indiana guys, and I was kind of putting it together. We were doing a lot of lineup analysis, um, you know, we could do on-offs, but we could uh, specify it on um, which players were off and which were on, which was very, you know, unique at that time. And a lot of permeations of plus minus and things of that nature. And Dell Harris was my main conduit, which was, you know, at the time I was 31 years old and to be talking to someone who had been in the league over, over, you know, 30 years, he and Nelly, not Nelson, old man Nelson, needless to say, it was intimidating. And this was very new to them as well. Um, but I, you know, he was, Dell was facilitating the reports to the coaching staff at their morning meetings. I was putting pregame and postgame reports before and after every game. And really it wasn't until I would say kind of March where, uh, you know, Nelly called me on my cell phone on a Sunday morning and the Mavs were in a really bad stretch. They'd lost about six games in a row or something. I didn't even know he had my cell number to be honest with you. Although I had a good relationship <laughs> with him and he was like, you know, these reports you keep giving me, uh, you know, tell me about him, which showed how much he had probably been investing in it. And we had Antoine Walker on the team and he was dragging everybody down, but he was really dragging uh, Marquise Daniels down most of anything. Marquise's on-off numbers with, specifically with Antoine as opposed to anybody else were just crazy different. And so, I suggested playing Marquise, you know, without Antoine mainly. And that amongst other factors, obviously, Marquise took a really kind of 20 game uh, spurt towards the end of that season and really took off. And uh, I tell him to this day, he got a $35 million contract that summer. And I told him he owes me a piece of that, but um, <laughs> you know, that was one. And also kind of in the playoffs, uh, if you remember, Walt Williams was playing the five a lot and Nahara was playing the five and because the fives at that time we had were Sean Bradley and, and Rafe LaFrentz and they weren't, you know, fantastic. And so kind of playing a, a non-traditional five, was new for the league, but it was something that Nelly really liked. And he was, you know, the great thing about him, although he wasn't a numbers guy, he, he liked inventive and new and creative things and was really willing to take a chance on him. So, Seth, what was the, what was the status of, you know, the, the Bucks analytics department when you, when you got there? You know, how much work did you uh, specifically put into, you know, turning it into what it is today? And, and then same question, is is there a specific moment that stands out that the first time you saw, you know, something directly recommended or or discovered by by you and your team, you know, be enacted on the court, uh, you know, in a in a, in a positive way? So uh, when I was brought on, there was there was uh, one. Uh, it was it was kind of a one man show, and I and I joined joined him. Uh, my, Mike Clutterbuck was is his name, and he uh, he left after a year to go work in healthcare and then a startup. Um, and then, then from there, we kind of uh, hired some some analysts to start to to build the department out a little bit. Um, I, um, as the field has developed, and especially as there's some sort of uh, some of the lowest hanging fruit has been picked in terms of of hey threes are good. It isn't so much now. There's like a eureka moment. 
that uh, that this is that this is that was an analytics choice. Um, it's more, it's much more. You're influencing in a lot of of subtle ways decisions that are being made. I think that I don't. I don't want to particularly claim any credit for um, uh, kind of the, the, especially the defensive style of play that uh, that, that uh, Mike Budenholzer uh, implemented. But I think that kind of some findings about about you know sort of how things work probably influenced kind of going to you know the uh, sort of extreme drop coverage, protect the paint. Uh, uh, and then build out from their approach, um, and I think in, especially in terms of how that approach would help with with uh, not just preventing shots at the rim, but also help defensive rebounding and prevent uh, f- uh, um, uh, fouling, uh, keep the other team off the free throw line. And those were as much as anything; those were some of the areas that 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 you know were improved with. You know, obviously. Uh, you know uh, the horses for courses, and having Brooke Lopez as the as the the, the center. I've I've been on record as thinking that he should 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 be or should should have been uh, defensive player of the year this year, um, and and that's in large part of it because they're they're the like that walling off the paint like kind of satisfies three of the four factors um, uh, at once, and I so I don't know how much that was uh, an analytically driven decision but i think that the, like the the numbers providing context to how that could help uh i would imagine um factored into the you know settling upon that as a strategy whether or not it was like a direct um there was a like any sort of report or stat that did that or just kind of piecing together how these things work together logically cuz i mean that's a you know, you can demonstrate that statistically, but it's also just kind of, you know, basketball logic. When do most fouls happen? Shots at the rim. When do most offensive rebounds happen? Shots at the rim. So if you're not letting shots at the rim happen, then those other two bad things are probably happening less also. So I don't think you would necessarily need, quote, analytics to get there, but it, it helps. It helps confirm what is a, what is probably a, a, a fairly straightforward coaching intuition. I'm going to preface this next question with with saying that neither of you guys are historians necessarily of of the analytics era, if if you will. Um, so so maybe maybe uh, you know maybe uh, this is a slightly unfair question, but and also that that you know for each team it's it's probably a little bit different. But you know from 2002 from 2020 where we are now, you know how how has analytics in the in the view of the general NBA do you think progressed? Like like when was the you know, was was there a first, second, and third era, or you know, the first era was all experimentation, and the second one was a slow process of, of coaches and in front offices embracing it, and maybe a third era where you know it's it's a it's a full part of every team. Is is that a fair way to kind of break it down? Is is it more complicated than that? Is, is there specific moments that you know from for that, that you've just seen analytics departments you know throughout? you know, really uh, reach a different level of, of respect or recognition uh, in, in, in the broader NBA. And, and I'll let either of you guys go. Yeah, um, I, I guess all since I was in it most recently, I think my I, I think there's been two. The first two of those have happened and we're kind of tipping into the third now, but it's not at all universal. I would say there are probably four ish teams that kind of are fully integrated in terms of of kind of a, a um, 
using a, using kind of statistical evidence as an intrinsic part of their decision making process. Um, and other teams are are getting there. Some some aren't. Um, I think it's it's the kind of the first era probably ended around uh, 2013 when the uh, sport view now second spectrum uh, tracking information came in because before that you could do a lot of the analysis you could do was you, you could do ad hoc analysis using you know excel and related tools and once the data just got bigger and you needed to do you have some higher level kind of algorithmic work to uh pull basketball events out of the tracking data um that i think w- w- sort of spurred a, a jump forward just because the, the, you needed the, the skill sets that were needed to really work with that data were were just uh, on a higher order than than you know uh, it, a lot of like you know uh, uh Dean Oliver obviously wrote uh, basketball on paper and he and he's now an assistant coach with the Wizards and he was an assistant coach before he wrote basketball on paper and so he kind of came to it from a a coaching standpoint but knew how to you know work a spreadsheet and that uh, and and that worked when the data was kind of no more detailed than play by play level but as we've gotten more data it just you, you can't you can't put a game of tracking data uh, into into an Excel sheet, so you need to. So the 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 programming and 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 technical needs just kind of, and then that led to kind of greater insights and 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 a further leap forward. I would say, would would you agree with the, from from your observation any of that uh, or all of that, right? Yeah, you know, I think one of the main things has been kind of the new owners. You know, when when Mark came in, he was you know crazy, and he was you know it was a lot of older ownership. He was, uh, you know, one of his main mantras is don't do something just because that's the way it's always been done. And so, uh, kind of like with Jerry Jones in the NFL, it really, was, you know, he was constantly pushing owners and David Stern to think differently, whether it's marketing, analytics, what have you. And so, now you see, you know, you see Vivek Randiv, you see Balmer, you see, you know, even, you know, the, the business leaders like Lazary and company up there in Milwaukee, you know, when you have ownership buy-in, then... Eventually, they're going to get GMs and coaches who are going to, uh, you know, want to, you know, you're going to be able to top down kind of say this and this is something we're going to do. And so, I think that's one thing that's really helped. I think another, frankly, you know, is what Golden State showing that, you know, jump shooting can win a championship. You know, it used to be back in the day, it was, you know, big men, whoever had the best big man. Then it was whoever has the most, you know, kind of talented wing, whether that be a, your LeBrons and all that kind of thing. And and now, you know, with Golden State and showing the threes and all of that, you know, you've seen really a, a hockey stick in the last five years of, of all of this uh, happen. And so, um, you know, Seth's right. It's not adopted all the way around by everybody. But, you know, the ones who are doing it, you know, you see the Mavs obviously in the last two years have, have shifted because of the personnel they now have and they can do it to, you know, the threes and, and layup style. And so, it's, you know, in, and Rick, while he was a st- statistical minded guy, he wasn't, you know, fully going all in and now he's all in too. Uh, so, I think it's been a, a combination of everything Seth said, plus those other factors I just mentioned to really kind of make it to where, you know, if you don't have this group, you're, you know, you're behind the curve. What What did you think of uh, Brian when, when Sports View and, and Second Spectrum and this very, very detailed tracking data came along? Was that a 
was that was that a moment where you're like, man, damn, I wish I had this or or, you know, you know, just just what was the overall reaction as, as that, uh, you know, that level of data uh, grew within the league? Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, it's, it's you know, I was working essentially with an abacus compared to what they're doing now. Right. And so it was just really basic <laughs> stuff. And we were, you know, we were we were putting, you know, uh, Palm Pilot software. We were, we were literally developing our own software on Palm Pilot so assistants could track the results of each play in game so that eventually, you know, you can just know that because, you know, assistants do that now after every game, they track they on a piece of paper, they track every play was did result in an open look, was it made or missed, you know, what happens. And so, if we can, you know, we were just literally trying to just digitize it so that in a late game situation, you know that against this kind of defense, this kind of play works 78% of the time, right? Um, and now with this new data, you can know that, you know, this shot with that player that far away and all of this and the percentages from here and here and here, you know, it just takes it to a whole new level. You got to realize when I was there, you know, all of basketball operations, and I'm talking about video, training staff, everything was like 10 people, you know, and now you're talking about 50 plus, even more in some cases. Uh, so, you know, just the, the organization has increased, whether it's, you know, we had two people in training, you had a trainer and you had an assistant trainer. Now you have kind of VPs of health and you have you know, biometrics people and nutritionists and all these things across the board. I mean, it's just head and shoulders of where things were 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And just to bring up one specific example, I think, you know, since this is a Mavericks podcast, I think that, you know, 2013, I, I agree with both of you guys. That's a, you know, that's a that's a pivotal moment in, in terms of, you know, just having more numbers to to work with. But, you know, I think that the famous story from the, the 2011 finals, you know, that Ma- the Mavericks obviously won. Is that uh, JJ Barea got put in the starting lineup because of uh, on off data, or I guess lineup data? He got put in the starting lineup in game three. And even though they lost that game, they performed well with Barea on the court. You know, obviously they stuck when, with him one three straight. So, how much do you, uh, how much do you have anything to add to that story? I guess essentially, Brian, since, since you are, you know, someone who, had, you know, I, we're talking to people and, and you know, involved uh, to some capacity or, or certainly more than me. Yeah, I don't know specifically the reasons behind that decision, um, but you know, a, a lot of it is yes, it's the on-off data, it's it's the lineup, the plus-minus, you know, variables specifically with certain combinations of players. It's also kind of you know when you want to stagger your your rotations and all of that. Um, I can't speak to specifically what uh, the data was behind that decision, but but I do know that it was data-driven, and and yeah, you see, you know, those kind of tweaks. As you mentioned, even though they lost that game, then they went on to to win the remainder of the games, you know, three in a row after that. And uh, you know, the, that's when it's exciting. Is the very first question, you know, you you asked both of us, you know, when you saw something, you know, that's cool for us because when you you are able to put that ring on your hand, you know, for those people that are in there, if you know you have a tangible impact on what is happening, you know, that's that's the exciting part, right? Because once they're once it's on the court and they're playing, you have no control over what can happen. So, if you can see your blueprint on some of it, I mean, that's what makes it worth it. Uh, besides threes and layups, which which has obviously been the the dominant uh, switch from uh, from like the analytics approach that that's that's been the one thing we've all learned. We all know that we associate that with analytics is that you shoot threes and you shoot layups and you avoid mid uh, mid So let me let me let me let me interrupt you just for a second there though. Um, I think I know where you're going, but no, yeah, no, I want to, I want to hear this. Yeah, no. So this, so I, 
for some for some reason like the like the notion that that this is both like giving anal- analytics too much and too little credit in that like uh, i think everyone kind of knows people who've been involved with basketball ha- have been talking about good and bad shots their entire lives and the shots that that analytics tend to say th- say are bad shots are the same shots that everyone else Thing that, that everyone's always thought were bad shots, with with a few exceptions of of where players are standing when 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 they they get them. So th- to say that this is like to that that the notion that that analytics invented shot selection is is kind of silly. But also the notion that that's all analytics is is like shoot threes <laughs> and get it. Like that's that's the only thing it does is also is equally silly on the other way. So I just like. You know, I, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I just want to like throw my my body in front of that like interpretation of what the field is and what it's doing. Yeah, no, that that sets me up perfectly for where I was going. I, I was I was going to ask, you know, what is what is something that uh, is now commonly accepted that that wasn't in you know 2002 when Brian started that you think you know analytics was the reason why we think this way today. So I the, the 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 basically like where your fourth best player is standing on an offensive play is is essentially the answer. He used to, you know, the guy used to, you know, your power forward, you'd run a pick and roll on one side and your power forward would like, you know, hang out on the baseline of the opposite side of the floor at 17 feet. Now he's standing in the corner. Like the, because that like he's not going to make that corner shot that much less than he was going to make that baseline 18 footer, but it's worth a whole point more. And that's like that. That is, I mean, obviously, you, you talk about like the the hockey stick of the of the the uh, threes increasing, but it's not like uh, the shots at the rim have stayed sort of constant. It's those it's those assisted mid range shots, the catch and shoot mid range jumper that has largely become a three pointer, and it's because of the the non star player standing in a different spot. The the Brandon Basses of the world, yeah, are, you know, and yeah, and we would Bra- put Brandon Bass in the corner. Yeah, Brandon Bass. Brandon Bass would either be standing in the corner or be, or he'd be on the bench because because he, <laughs> he couldn't make a shot from the corner. If if he if right, he was that, not yeah, like exactly that, right, yeah, Brandon Bass had that killer you know ten to twelve foot J right. But is that does that work now? And I think this is one of the things. And we've been you know we've been seeing this with with Rick kind of flaring up at the you know when it was when it was post up gate right Tim like with with Chris stops earlier on you know and and I think now. You know, analytics can show the ammunition of playing five guys, you know, five out is now defendable instead of just dumping it down to a big man in the post. And, you know, Nelly was playing this in 2002. He just didn't, you know, people were just saying, well, he doesn't really want a big man that can can play that way. So, so he was the mad scientist. But now it's like, okay, we can, we can show you not only are you going to get better looks this way, but you know, you're, you're spacing, you're opening up the space inside, uh, the passing lanes are more open, you're dragging that big man out, you know, and that helps get you the layups, what have you, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, now this is, this can, you know, give some uh, fuel to, to those who want to play that way. But as we've seen just this year, there's still people who, who fight against it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, Baked into that Carlisle rant and, and you know, I know, Seth, you tweet about this all the time. You know, the the, the pull-up two-pointer is, is, you know, it's not inherently a bad shot. It's a bad shot because of who's taking it and when it's being taken and how it's being taken, most likely, you know. I mean, there are it's, situations not a, it's not a where, great yeah. shot. It's, 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 but, some, but the shot clock means sometimes it's the best shot you're going to get. And it's right. the shot that, like, 
the best players get to take because they're the that's why they're the best players is because they can they can get to that spot on the floor and still be effective. Um, and there, there's, yeah, there's you, you prefer them to get all the way to the basket and dunk or shoot an open three pointer, but like the defense is working very hard to prevent those things. So sometimes you need to have a have a a, a good plan B or C, and having your you know having Chris Paul shoot an elbow jump shot as the shot clock winding down, that's not a bad floor to have on a possession. That's exactly right, right, and, and that's what. You know, the lack of plan B is why the Rockets lost to the Warriors in that game seven where they missed 27 straight threes, right? Because, you know, all of the analytics, it's, it's you know, they're huge data sets. But in one moment, um, you're talking about the difference between, you know, 45% and 37%. Well, that's not much. And so, you know, sometimes just psychologically, you need somebody you can just go and get the bucket for you. You know, if you remember the 11 finals in games two and five, you know, uh, or two and four, you know, Dirk just went and and at the end backed Haslam and backed Bosch up and got the bucket. It wasn't analytically that great, but he went and did it. And sometimes just psychologically to break a 27, you know, streak of missed threes, you just need to go get a two. And And, and I think that's where the Rockets sometimes are just so all in that I would like to see them have somebody that can get them a plan B you know, when needed, because listen, in the playoffs, you know, obviously defense defenses are closing out those shooters more tightly. They're not, you're not getting as open looks as you are during the regular season. So all those stats are crunched in more. And so, you know, I, I think that uh, we shouldn't throw away some of that mid range altogether. And, and to be fair to the Rockets, you know, that, that plan was Chris Paul, who, who of course missed that game. You know, he was the, you know, just like Seth said, you know, Chris Paul is a historically, a good shooter on, on two pointers, especially those elbow jumpers. You know, he's always hit those. You know, at at you know more than a fifty percent clip, or you know more or less so. And, and so that was the idea. That that was the you know the biggest idea behind Chris Paul is that oh okay we do need a bucket. We do need something to you know to break uh, that this bad rhythm we're in. And and he's the guy who can just go get one. You know whether it's you know even if it's at fifteen feet. You know the the math is you know, decent, decent enough for us to say this is, this is worth it, you know, for a possession or two, you know. And just psychologically stuff to see the working. ball go through the hoop, right? But now with this Rockets of, of now, uh, they don't even have that. <laughs> right. On some level, like missing 27 straight is also just, just you know, the statistician in me has to say that that's, that's somewhat ab- aberrational, like regardless. Like there's a degree of, I, you know, it's when you talk about luck in terms of making or missing shots, it is that that's sort of a tricky concept because shooting is a skill also. But at a certain point, like the streaks teams go on, they are on some level indistinguishable from luck. And so as shorthand, we sometimes call them luck, even though that might not totally be true. But still, it's it's very unlikely that even a, a team that has, you know, not, you know, not a lot of of you know one of the one of some of the kind of the flaws of of the, the those rockets teams is they had good but not great shooters uh and and even but so but even good but not great shooters taking those shots are going to very infrequently like in the in the millions of chances like miss those 27 shots in a row like, like totally, yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. But the fact of the matter is it did happen and not right, having exactly. any kind of safety valve is ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, even the night before or the night after, I can't remember which, you know, Boston missed, what, 24 in a row, right? And, and so, you know, it, I think 
yes, statistically in a vacuum, it doesn't happen. But then when you put, you know, the, the, the better defense, the pressure, the psychological impact of, oh my gosh, here we go again when you miss 10, you know, that all kind of adds into that soup of that. But yeah. I know. I, and, and, you know, that, that, that's some of, that's one of those things, like you talk about adding the psychology and that's one of those things. This is, this is a, a, a pitfall of as we kind of dig deeper into the technique and, and, and the better, more detailed data is since we can't really quantify that, it tends to get assumed away. And I think that, you know, that it's, I think we do that at our peril uh, to say that, you know, the, well, we've missed 15 straight. And, Oh, now, ideally, if everyone was a robot, like, oh, well, the, the, the next one's still going in at 37%. Um, when in actuality, if you're on one of those runs, maybe the psychology of the moment is affecting your shooting form. So, the next one's going in at 33%. Right. And, and, and you know, I think that we are, again, we, we dismiss that as a possibility at our peril. Uh, um, but in general, we want to rely on the, the, the larger sample size. Kristaps early on was, you know, he was struggling. He was struggling because he was getting himself into shape, but they were also asking him to play a completely different style than he had played before. And player buy-in, I think, is so important. And, and, you know, when you mentioned psychologically, that's why I kind of thought of this, is that when he really started taking off, this is when I think the team started listening to him some and saying, listen, I want to do some posting up. I want to play some of the game I played in New York, but I want to play the majority of the way you want me to play because I do see the benefits. And when that happened and his body got better and he got better and he, it also coincided with him and Luca meshing better, then you saw him really take off. But I think it was his mind coming around to, okay, I'm, I, they know I buy into them. Now I know they buy into me and I'm feeling really comfortable. Does that make sense? Right, right. And I think, you know, I, I assume that it was probably a, a two-way street where they were like, you want to post up here's this is a good opportunity to post up this is this is an example of, of where right. we're perfectly fine with you doing this you know here you know try to stay away from like a, a turnaround two-pointer over over brooke lopez but you know if if, if you want to shoot over a a switched mis- mismatch where you're literally just rising for a jumper you know that that stuff you know statistically uh, will probably bear itself <laughs> <laughs> still meh it does. It's like a, like you know a, a, a contested seventeen footer isn't magic just because you started with your back <laughs> to the basket. It's still a contested seventeen footer. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, I mean, it's it's all about you know whether Kristaps can prove himself as as a you know he he has to does admittedly have to prove himself as like a Dirk level uh, shooter for that to be a even somewhat sustainable part of the offense. Right. But I also think psychologically, just like you're saying, Brian, there's something to the fact that if a player wants to play a certain way and, and it helps the rest of his game to, to be able to do that twice, you know, two possessions out of, out of 90 isn't necessarily, you know, going to, going to kill you. So uh, something, you know, that I think that, I think that's definitely a, a all kind of factors into, into, into the way he ended up playing. Um, where, where do analytics go in the future? Um, I, I have a couple specific directions i could i could take this but i'm curious if you guys just have a overarching sense of what's next man that's a weird time to ask that question uh <laughs> um i mean i think we're still we've we've really we're still just scratching the surface of what you can do with the tracking data and and that's just like with this generation of tracking data technology which is you know basically still just like dots moving uh, we 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 aren't tracking arms or eye line or anything like that yet, or or balance or 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 orientation, um, and all that like you know adds in just another another like you know just going from the play by play to the tracking data moved us from two to three dimensional 
and adding those other other bits will make it like four dimensional, which you know don't don't think about too much because you'll break your brain. But um, <laughs> uh, so but we've you know even the the most detailed analysis we've gotten if we've gotten ten percent out of what is in that data set out of it, I would be surprised. I think it's I think that number is is closer to five than ten percent. So there's just so much more that can be done with that in terms of you know what is, how sets impact defense uh, fatigue modeling um, uh, your, uh, teammate interactions all kinds of different things that we just don't we we just have we're just still scratching the surface of what we can learn. Yeah, I agree. I think biometrics is is a huge um, area. You know of of you know can you lengthen players' careers? Can you uh, enhance, you know, how they feel. I remember Steve Nash always, you know, told me, you know, my whole day, game day is to be at peak physical and mental ability at 730, you know, so literally from when he wakes up and when he works out, when he eat, the whole thing, you know, and so can you make that 730 to 10, you know, maximum in, in all those phases, whether that's how you sleep, how you eat, what, you know, how you're training, uh, can we lengthen your career, um, all of that, rehabbing, and I think the other key area is, you know, really discovering players on other teams who you think are maybe undervalued, like they're in a system that doesn't suit the skill sets that they have. And you think those skill sets are really good with what you can do and you can unlock more um, or they aren't being used right um, because, you know, of your player development and the way your system is. I think that that is probably um, the next competitive advantage area. I, I couldn't agree more with that. That's that's uh, um, sort of defining team context and then player skill sets in such a way that okay, this guy across all thirty teams is a two win player, but for us, he's a five win player exactly because he he checks he checks boxes A, B, and C that 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 we need checked. Um, that's a uh, so much of the work that's been done is still from a more of a top down like how good is this player. Um, versus uh, how good is this player as a shooter? How good is this player as a shooter off movement? How good is this a player um, as 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 a as a shooter off movement with defense? Like all those different kind of you know the 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 the, the thinner and thinner you can slice the data and then develop a, a clearer picture of what a player can do and then what he's going to be asked to do if he was involved in your system. Um, you can you can start to identify better kind of uh, what in another field you might call match quality between the player and the team. And you know you've seen you've seen that with with Carlisle, uh, maybe not specifically doing it analytically, but with you know Al Farouk Amino, Doug McDermott, Brandon Wright, these guys that have come here, uh, unlocked their potential, and then gotten big deals elsewhere because Rick's seen how I can utilize their skill set, you know, in the best way in my system. Right. And so now you can not just take a flyer on a guy because he's cheap and available, but look for a guy that, you know, analytically is sound for what you are. And I think the other key area really is, is more effectively, you know, the player buy-in is so key. Like we talked about, how can you really take, it's, it's great for GMs and us to all talk about this, but, you know, it, the players have to execute it. And, and, and what is the, they're not going to read 25 pages of stuff, right? What is the best right. way for them to, receive this information, know that it's best for them and their career and for the team and, and, uh, and execute on that. And these aren't just like 
totally vague concepts. All of these things are in pro, you know, especially with biometrics. You know, I know there's a lot of cool things happening, but so to say, we're in the stage one. We're in the phase one, like we were talking about. We're in, you know, with all those things that you guys just mentioned specifically. Maybe it's still 2002 um, in in a in a sense, and we've just got so much further to go with understanding them and developing our abilities to do that, right? Yeah, and I think that's an area where we are in terms of on-field analysis, on-court, on-field analysis. Uh, U.S. sports are far ahead of the rest of the world uh, in terms of that kind of uh, sports science biometric stuff. Um, uh, Europe and Australia especially are are still a ways ahead of us. I've, I've kind of you, you see some of the – the the physical training stuff and the biometric stuff that comes out of some of the the better European soccer clubs and it's just like oh my goodness that's amazing uh, baseball has kind of started to get there but baseball is kind of easy uh, from a biometric standpoint because you know the pitcher is going to stand where the pitcher stands and that <laughs> that kind of makes breaking his movements down like you know, on a microscopic level uh, a fair bit easier than than kind of most basketball things. But in general, uh, especially with respect to basketball, like looking to some of the training methods and, and uh, diagnosis and analysis that that kind of soccer and Australian rules football teams are 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 doing is is probably an area where there can be some improvements. Yeah, we're definitely early on in that, but you're seeing some of that now with you know this break that they're on, like they can't go to facilities. So, what are the best ways that you know Casey Smith can? Uh, communicate to all the players stuck in their their homes to stay in you know some sort of shape mentally physically uh, nutritionally everything to so that you know if if the season starts back up there may be a ten day camp or something like that but you don't want to be starting from scratch exactly you guys have anything else to add I, th- I think that's it for me I think we figured no, it all I- out. Yeah, we definitely figured it out. No, the the one every time I get asked this question, the one the one thing that I think would be super would be a super useful dimension to add to all of of, of kind of the analysis is if we had like good in game audio of players and players and coaches. Um, I think that would I think that would go a long way towards enhancing our understanding of both individual and team defense from a uh, from a, a an analytical level. Uh, and we really start to see some of the why of why, like why is Mark Gasol like has has he always been a, a, a guy who's anchored good defenses? Uh, it's not like his physical abilities are what they are, but it's his communication and and kind of uh, ability to read the game and communicate it. I think that would show up as something that is has been a real difference maker for teams he's on. Now I can. I can posit that right now, but there's really no way to prove it yet. And if we somehow had kind of uh, uh, some some way to like do audio uh, in in a similar way as we can do like you know tagged video and stuff like that, that would be that would be super neat. I don't think that's I don't think that's happening anytime soon. But that's just something that I like to 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 muse about from time to time. Yeah, you saw that in the broadcast recently when Maxi was. Uh was mic'd up and you know usually on those mic'd up to you know it's kind of lame right it's like hey let's go guys yeah. and you know be great but they actually aired you know him basically quarterbacking the defense a lot of times and, and you know it was really good to hear you know you see he's not only a good defender himself but he's helping the guys in front of him you know telling them what's going on and it was it was fascinating to hear that because yeah you're exactly right you know it, it makes sense when you hear that of why 
you know, units with him are good and why he's so good. Yeah, no, and you say that you say that like that not only is he an individ, a good individual defender, but he also, I think, no, that is him being a good like I would even say that is him being a good like defender, like because it's it's five like NBA defense at this point is five players moving hopefully in unison, and so if he's if he is assisting that kind of that cohesion, then then that is him contributing to the whole. Um, and, Absolutely. And, you know, maybe that's a maybe that's a semantic argument, but I think I mean that's defense. Like, yeah, I think and it's communicating a, when to switch, when not to. This guy, yep. you know, when they're when yep. they're slipping, all that, and, and yeah, that's yep. essential because most of the errors you see are just miscommunication on. You know, oh, I thought you had him. You know, right? Exactly. It's it's almost like ten years ago when uh, in in baseball when when catchers would frame pitches, and you know there would be some anecdotal evidence that this person was good at it. But but now, you know, in 2020, we have tangible evidence. People, you know, sabermetrics and, and all those stats and sites directly track how well a uh, a catcher frames a pitch. And even though that yeah, that catcher has nothing to do with with the, you know, with with the ball being thrown from the pitcher, it is there is a tangible effect. And, you know, the stats can now link that. And I think that's that's a cool thing. And, and you know, kind of, you know, it's a more complicated thing is, is what we're suggesting here but I, I think that you know maybe there's some link or correlation of of you know one to the other you know in, in a cross sports manner thanks for listening to us get quite nerdy about basketball stats and analytics and and all that um if if you enjoyed this you would probably enjoy listening to both of these guys they both have podcast on the athletic podcast network seth is on nerd or she wrote which which is somewhat similar to this you know they they definitely dive in you know deep dives on analytics and Brian has a show on our own channel. In fact, if, if you're subscribed to 77 Minutes in Heaven, I'm sure you've seen it. But but he's he's got the show along with Mark Followell, the Mavericks play-by-play announcer. So make sure you subscribe uh, to our feed, to the other feed, Nerd or She Wrote. And then, of course, you know, listen to episodes as, as they come out. Uh, we'll have a new one next week. Thanks for listening. 